Amen. Thank you, Doug. Good morning, City Light. You all look awfully good, okay? So thanks for uh, participating in Ugly Christmas Sweater Sunday. As always, I am excited to dive into God's Word with you. This morning, we're going to look at the scripture behind the Christmas carol, Joy to the World. Joy to the World was written by a man named Isaac Watts. He was an English pastor that is widely regarded, was widely, still is, as a genius. By the time he was 13, he knew five languages. English, Latin, Greek, French, and Hebrew. English was his first language. Latin, Greek, Hebrew helped him study the Bible. He learned French so that he could talk to refugees about the gospel. Um, They moved into his neighborhood. I mean, five languages, all for the glory of the Lord. Later in life, he would contribute to a broad swath of um, different uh, fields of study, including theology, psychology, astronomy, philosophy, and logic. The man was gifted in many ways, but in physical appearance, he was not. All right, by some accounts, he stood barely five feet tall, a scrawny frame, and an oversized head. I feel like I can relate to this guy, all right? I've got some compassion for him. He once uh, asked a woman to marry him, and she replied, declining like this, if only I could, well, she declined and then reflecting on her no answer, she said this, if only I could say that I admire the casket as much as I admire the jewel it contains. (laughs) Harsh, she called his mind a jewel and his body a casket. How do you get turned down like that? I mean, you don't recover and he never did. He was single his whole life. After that, you don't go back, okay? Um, As I see it then, we have this morning beautiful people dressed in ugly sweaters learning about a beautiful gospel from an ugly man. All right, it's going to be a fun morning. In fact, I think this is the exact kind of morning where God's people are celebrating the joy of God's word together. This is exactly the kind of morning that Pastor Watts longed for. And he wanted everyone to see and celebrate the incredible truth of God's word and for that to evoke joy in God's people. In fact, one time he um, looked at the state of his church as they sang in worship, and he grumbled to his father saying this, to see the dull indifference, the negligent and thoughtless air that sits upon the faces of a whole assembly while the psalm is upon their lips might even tempt a charitable observer to suspect the fervency of their inward religion. Now that is old fancy English to say there's a gap between the joy in the songs they were singing and the lack of joy on the faces of the singers, all right? There just was a ton of joy in the song and no joy in the singers. And he said, you're singing the Psalms. Man, do you not see the glory and the grace and the power and the salvation of God in his word? How can there be a gap? And he complained to his dad. And his dad, like any good father, said, well, if you don't, if you don't like it, you do better. Write your own song. 
And that challenge spurred on a life of writing hymns in Isaac Watts' um, career. By the time he died, six or seven hundred psalms were credited to his name. Among them was a collection in a book called The Psalms of David, imitated in the language of the New Testament and applied to the Christian state and worship. I skip over books like that. It's exactly the kind of heady title guys like Nick love, okay? He picks those up. I'm not me. Uh, in that work, Isaac Watts had a purpose. He wanted to take the promises of God that we find in the Psalms and connect them to God's promises fulfilled in the New Testament. In other words, he saw God make wonderful promises to his people in the Psalms, and he longed for God's people to see the fulfillment of those promises in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so in this book, he rephrased and rewrote the Psalms, all 150 of them. And in that book, there is Psalm 98, the last six verses that uh, Isaac Watts called joy to the world. He's taking Psalm 98, God's promises there, and connecting it to Jesus Christ. Incredible, right? I have a picture of the uh, 1750 publication, 1780 publication. It's pretty cool. All the like S's look like F's and, you know, all kind of stuff. Anyway, enough introduction to joy to the world. Let's dig into the psalm that undergirds it. If you read this psalm, uh, just a time or two, the structure becomes very apparent. In the psalm, there are nine verses that are divided into three stanzas. As Doug read it, there were three slides. Each had a stanza. Each stanza has three verses. And in each of the three-verse stanzas, there is a word or an idea that is repeated three times, okay? Nine verses, three stanzas, in each stanza, an idea repeated three times. So if you look at those repeated words, you get an idea about what each stanza means. If you add all of those together, you get an idea about what the whole psalm means, and so that's what we're going to do this morning, all right? Here's the outline. Stanza one repeats salvation, salvation, salvation. Stanza two repeats joy, joy, joy. And stanza three is a little harder to boil down, but it repeats, let the sea roar, let the rivers clap, and let the hills rejoice. In short, let everything join in. So if we take those three focuses from each of the stanzas and put them together into a big idea sentence, I think it makes the most sense if we line them up backwards, stanza three, two, one, this is what I got. Let everything and everyone rejoice in the salvation of our God. All right? So friends, that's where we're going today. Psalm 98, Isaac Watts retelling of it, and this sermon this morning all share one common goal. It is that you might celebrate in the joy of God's salvation. That's what we want. That you might know Jesus as your Savior and thereby have joy uh, that makes you more jolly than Santa Claus and gives you more Christmas cheer than elves singing loud for all to hear. That's what we want this morning. So 
Let's dive in. We'll start with stanza number one. Let me read it to you again. Watch for the repetition. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Salvation, salvation, salvation. Now, the psalm begins, interestingly, I think. It says, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. If you track with the history of God's people, breaking into song is not abnormal for them. When God does something miraculous or marvelous, it's a pretty common occurrence that his people sing. This isn't weird, this is common. Let me give you some examples. In Exodus chapter 15, after God has parted the Red Sea and drowned the people's enemies and brought them safely to the other side, God's people sing. In Deuteronomy 32, they sing after God leads them out of wandering in the wilderness up to the promised land. In Judges 5, they sing after God gives them great victory over Sisera and his army by the hand of Deborah. In 1 Samuel 2, Hannah sings after God opens her womb and gives her Samuel as her first and only son. In 2 Samuel 22, David sings, and the Bible tells us the occasion, saying, On the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So if you're tracking with me, this is just a partial list. There are lots more songs in Scripture, but it's enough to make a point. When God works, his people sing. And there's a common denominator in the type of work of God that makes his people sing. Did you catch it? It's when God saves them. When he saved them from slavery in Egypt. When he saved them from wandering in the desert wilderness. When he saved them from mighty enemies like Sisera. And when he saved them from angry frenemies like Saul, right? When he saved them from things like shame, what he did for Hannah when he took away her shame by giving her a son. When God saved, people sang. And with that in mind, we go back to Psalm 98 and we see that it begins, sing to the Lord a new song. And now, it's, it's almost like we hear the psalmist saying, remember all the marvelous things that God has done that's given us reason to sing in the past? Well, get ready to sing a whole new song because God is about to do something far more marvelous than all of that. He's preparing us for what God will do. He's giving his people a new salvation song to be an anthem for his people. And that anthem is all about Jesus. 
The promise of God in this psalm is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And I want to show it to you. Don't just take my word for it. I've got two ways that we know that the promise of God that will sing a new song is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. All right? First way has to do with Jesus' name. Now, before Jesus was born, an angel appeared to Joseph and talked to him. This is what the angel said. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Friends, this is a marvelous thing. So as we read it, as we dig in, let yourself marvel at what God did when Jesus was born. First, he tells Joseph, hey, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. I know she's pregnant, but she didn't cheat on you. The Spirit of God has caused her to conceive. Now, that's not a weird sexual thing. That is like a powerful might of God at work in humanity kind of thing. The Spirit of God put a baby inside Mary. That is God's hand at work. And the same power of God that put a holy baby in a human belly was going to continue to work after that baby was born. So we can marvel at God's work that Jesus, the Son of God and Son of Man, would even exist by the power of the Holy Spirit. But we can also marvel at what he would do, how God would continue Continue to work in the life of Jesus as he walked this earth. The angel said, you shall call him Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. You're going to give him a name, and that name has meaning that will tell everyone what his purpose is. You'll call him Jesus. Now, let me explain a little bit about the name Jesus. Jesus is a Greek name. It's a Greek, more precisely, it's a Greek pronunciation of a Hebrew name. So Jesus in Greek would equal uh, Yeshua in Hebrew. Think about like John in English and Juan in Spanish. Same name, different pronunciations. That's what's going on here. You will call his name Jesus... So the angel gives the baby, the son of God and son of man, a Hebrew name, Yeshua. And that name was actually a Hebrew word. Not always a name, sometimes a word. And that word, Yeshua, means salvation. So the angel tells Jesus' parents, you're going to call him salvation. You'll literally name him salvation. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. City Light, can I just say, we still sing the salvation song of Jesus because he really did come to save his people from their sins. Literally, his name is is salvation. Here's a question with a ridiculously obvious answer. Guess what Hebrew word is repeated three times 
meaning salvation in Psalm 98. Yeshua, the name of Jesus, that's the word. Twice it's exactly that word, once it's a form of it. We are singing a new salvation song to the Son of God who is literally named Salvation. And we're still singing that song because the salvation that he worked is more marvelous than any other salvation you will ever find. Let me try to walk through this with you. See, Jesus does more than save you by empowering you to face your giants. Jesus' salvation is better than empowerment. Jesus' uh, salvation does more than offer you a helping hand to get out of the pit that you're in. Jesus' salvation is better than being a life assistant or a sidekick. Jesus' salvation does more than helping you live your best life today. Jesus' salvation is better than making you into the best version of yourself. Jesus offers a particular and specific kind of salvation that far exceeds any of those things and any other salvation that will ever be offered to you. He will save you from your sin. From sin, the great enemy of all humanity. Sin, it's our rebellion against God, both by our twisted internal nature and by our daily choice to rebel against God. Sin is what separates us from God now and forever. See, left on our own, humanity is locked in sin's stronghold and destined for death. It is what separates us from God, the life giver, forever. Friends, in that state, we need a Savior. And all the sinners say, Amen. It's good news then that when Jesus stepped onto earth, it's like God bared, he rolls up his sleeve and bears his holy arm. Right? Sin, watch what I'm about to do. This is more marvelous than any other saving thing I've ever done. Sin through its greatest trials and temptations at Jesus, and Jesus never flinched or failed. Sin could not stop the righteous one from saving his people. But see, Jesus, he wasn't just out to set an example for us, like, oh, if you lived a life like I did, then you too could conquer sin. No, Jesus, his aim was to head right to the heart of the beast. He wasn't giving us an example so that we do our best to follow him into eternal life. He was going to kill the enemy that stood against us. He walked with sinners all the way to the end, all the way to the cross. And after sin had thrown its best punches at Jesus without stopping him, he walks up to the cross and sin says, I couldn't stop him. Death, you give it a shot. And so they nailed Jesus' hands and feet to those wooden boards where he would die and death would give its hardest blow to the Son of God and Son of Man. And after Jesus died on that cross, they laid him in the grave, sealed him there, and for three days it was dark. 
It was bleak. Did death win? Can Jesus save? Will he be more marvelous than all the saviors that came before him who lived and died and stayed dead? For three days, God's people wondered. Oh, but on the third day, the most marvelous salvation ever known to this globe happened. And Jesus, the one who died, flexed that holy arm and he took up life again. Marvel at this. Jesus' lifeless body, sealed by a boulder into a grave, dark and alone, guards stationed outside. His lifeless heart had none of those things, you know, that shock back to life. There was no assistance. Jesus, of his own power and accord, lying dead in the grave, stepped up and lived again. Who can do that? None but Jesus. And he not only lived again, he broke out of that grave, conquering sin and death once and for all and forever, paving a way for everyone who would follow him to know eternal life with him. Jesus came not to make you a better version of your sinful self, but to conquer your sin once and for all and forever. Amen? Jesus is named salvation because he saves his people from their sin. And now we have a new salvation anthem to sing. Friends, that's number one. That's only reason number one. We know that God's promise in Psalm 98 is true in Jesus. Let me give you number two. The second way we know this anthem is about Jesus is because when Jesus showed up on the scene, people actually started singing. What the psalm said would happen actually happened. And it wasn't like a one-off thing. All kinds of people started singing. Mary sang, Zechariah sang, Simeon sang. And what they sang lines up with Psalm 98. All right? There's a connection. I want to show it to you. So let me take you into God's word. Psalm 98 verse 1 begins, O sing to the Lord a new song. Now, when Mary was pregnant and little baby Jesus is kicking around inside her, she starts singing and she sings, my soul magnifies the Lord. Jesus, you have done a marvelous work. I can feel it in me. I know it's true. I'm going to magnify the Lord. There's a new song Mary is singing because of what God has done. First connection. It goes on. Uh, The psalm says, he, God, has done marvelous things. And Mary keeps singing, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. So God who does marvelous things did something marvelous in Mary's life. And she sang. We keep going. Psalm 98 verse 1. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. For a scrawny guy, I just love the holy arms of God, right? His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation. And Mary sings about the same thing. He has shown strength with his arm. It's uncanny how they just track together the psalm and the song. We can keep going. Psalm 98 verse 2. The Lord has made known his salvation. It would be clear to people who looked. They would see what God was doing. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. All people would see it. 
Now, when Mary and Joseph take baby Jesus into the temple and they're going to do like a dedication of sorts, a man named Simeon takes Jesus up into his arm and sings. And this is his song. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of who? All the nations. So God said in the Psalms, he promised that he would make it known and reveal it to all the nations. And Simeon says, I've seen it, and you've prepared it in the sight of all peoples. It lines up. One more. Psalm 98.3 says, he, that's God, has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. The promises that God made in the Psalms, he did not forget. He would remember them and accomplish them for his people. Mary and Zechariah sing that very thing. Uh, Mary's song, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And then Zechariah, Jesus' uncle, the father of John the Baptist, he sang the same thing. Uh, God did it to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. What the psalm said would happen actually happened. This is not a fable or a fairy tale or a story with a moral of a story that we just learn. This is the truth about God's plan for his people. God worked a marvelous salvation through Jesus. And now his people have a new song to sing. Amen? Stanza number one. Salvation, salvation, salvation. And our new song is all about Jesus. Stanza number two also has a word that's repeated. It is joy. So let me read it to you again. Watch for the repetition. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. So if the first stanza calls God's people to sing to the Lord a new song, the second stanza extends that invitation to all people. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. So the invitation has extended and expanded, which I think means that these verses take away every excuse for not singing in church. (laughs) All right, listen, track with me. It does not say sing beautiful harmonies to the Lord. It does not say if you can sing, uh, if you can carry a tune, then sing to the Lord. It does not say if you sound like Dan while you're plucking and strumming, then sing to the Lord. It says make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. So if you can make a noise and your feet stand on this earth, you are included. All right? So... In a moment, we're going to sing again, and I expect all these noises to be made. All right? It's an invitation. Let's go. The psalm continues. (laughs) Break forth into joyous song. Let joy break out and sing. Have you ever had a break forth into joy experience in life? I was pondering this, and I thought back to my fall semester of my senior year in college. There were a lot of exciting things happening in my life at the time. I was expecting to graduate in the spring. And uh, I had also been dating a gal named Sarah. And it got serious. And we were talking about marriage. And both of those things were really exciting. The trouble was, 
I could only afford to do one of those things, right? I only had enough money to either pay for my second semester of classes or to buy my girlfriend an engagement ring. And I was stressing about this because I didn't want to drop out of school and delay graduation. I know how hard it is to come back if you do that. Um, So I didn't want to delay that. But I'm also just going to say I knew Sarah was a hot commodity on campus. (laughs) And if I did not seal that deal, who knows what would happen. So I didn't want to delay proposal even another day. And so I was stressing out. And as I'm stressing out, I get, sorry. (laughs) As I'm stressing out, uh, I get a call from my folks. And they say that my dad had to have a stint put into his heart. Now that's a pretty routine procedure these days, but nerve wracking nonetheless. And so you can just imagine. Have you ever had those times when... The stress that's weighing on you feels so heavy, you almost never stop thinking about it. Like, it feels like you keep trying to push some things to the back burner, but your mind has shut off the back burners and just keeps pushing everything back up front. The stress of the world just weighs so heavy on you that actually you can feel it weighing you down. Have you ever been there? Like, that's where I was. I was stressed. And so I decide I'm going to go to Omaha and uh, sit with my mom while my dad's having his procedure done. And so I drive down there, and they roll my dad off to the procedure room, and my mom takes me to the cafeteria. And uh, we sat there, and we were talking. I had not shared any of this with my folks. Um, And so we're eating, we're talking, and my mom looks at me and says, You know, Eric... Um, a few semesters back, your brother was in a tight spot. I've got a twin brother, best looking guy I know. Um, he was in a tight spot. And uh, she said, so your dad and I paid for one semester of his school. And we've been planning to do that for you, but didn't know the right time to make it happen. Since next semester is your last semester, it seems like now is the right time. You just let us know what you need and we're going to cover it. Friends, that is a joy-breaking-forth kind of moment. I, my response was not at all what my mom expected. Like, tears just start rolling down my face. Tears of joy and relief and gratitude, right? And my head, all of a sudden, it just fell into my hands, and I couldn't, like, I couldn't lift it up. I couldn't look at her. I felt like it was too good of news, and I couldn't even form words to continue the conversation or let her know what I was feeling. I just, all I knew was my whole world changed in that moment. It was like my debt had been paid, and I was free to pursue the one I loved. Friends, Jesus' birth is that kind of break forth with joy moment for all humanity to an exponentially greater extent. Are you with me? Have you ever experienced a break forth into joy moment? Oh, I hope you have. I hope... Does Jesus' birth land on you as a break forth into joy moment? When you consider what God did in Christ, does it land on you in a way that you cannot stop the joy from welling up and pouring out in your heart? Is that true? I hope it is. 
In fact, I was thinking about ways that I hope this might be true for us this Christmas. I hope it's true when you feel the guilt and shame of sin weighing on your heart. When your sin weighs heavy like my stress did, and it accuses, and it clings, and it follows, and you feel the weight of your sin all the time, I hope the good news of Jesus breaks forth into joy for you because you know the Bible says things like this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Can you imagine? Marvel at this. Because Jesus paid the penalty for your sin on the cross, you bear it no more. Your guilt and your shame have been shattered. When you follow Jesus, you are forgiven, your debt has been paid, and you are set free to pursue the one who first loved you even when you were a sinner, Jesus Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Have you experienced the joy of Jesus' salvation breaking forth? I hope you do. I was thinking about this. I hope you feel it. When you feel the brokenness and division with family and friends and neighbors that so often takes root and hurts, and it, that sort of brokenness and division in relationships like that, people who are close to you, make even Christmas time, times like this where we ought to be celebrating, hard and dark. If you're experiencing that, I hope the joy of Jesus breaks through for you because we know the Bible says things like this. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Friends, this means when Jesus saves, he reconciles. He makes things right that once went wrong. First and foremost, he does that by reconciling us with God. He does not count our trespasses, that's another word for sins, against us. Instead, he took those on himself and forgives us and wipes them clean. He takes away the only thing that stands between us and God. He reconciles us. And what God, what Jesus has done for us by reconciling us to God, he then gives us a ministry to pursue the same thing with each other. Those who've been reconciled to God get reconciled with each other. And friends, that means we embrace a ministry of reconciliation. We embody the ministry of reconciliation. We spend our lives, all of our words and deeds, telling and showing the gospel to people who need to hear it, that they might be reconciled to God and we might be reconciled to them. Have you experienced the joy of reconciliation? Have you embodied what God first did for you so that you can now do that for others? I hope you have. Friends, as we celebrate this Christmas, I hope the joy of Jesus' new salvation song breaks forth in all kinds of hearts and homes all over the place. That stanza two, joy 
joy, joy. All right? Stanza one invited all of God's people to sing a new salvation song. Stanza two expands that to say, you know, all people everywhere, all the peoples on the earth. Stanza three is going to stretch the invitation even further, inviting all of nature to join in the same salvation song. Look at stanza three with me again. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let uh, and the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. So the repetition here, let the seas roar, let the rivers clap, let the hills sing. It's inviting all creation to join in the song that started with God's people, expanded to all people. Now all creation joins in the song. What is that like? Well, for a moment, picture yourself at the ocean on the beach. And the waves crash rhythmically one after another after another. It's like the ocean is singing. Or next to a river. And you stand next to the river and as the water flows, it splashes on the rocks and the banks hour after hour after hour. Or put yourself at the foot of a mountain that stretches high into the sky, nothing obstructing it all the way around, so that the trees on it bristle in the wind no matter which direction the wind comes from. The song of creation is an endless song of praise to the Lord. Tracking? Like, this is heaven and nature sing. This is the fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeating the sounding joy. See, creation is not God, but it points us to God. That's a promise made in Psalms that's fulfilled or proved in the New Testament. Let me show it to you. Paul wrote this um, to the church in Rome. For what can be known about God is plain to them, to all people, Because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes. Those things about God that are sometimes hardest to see with our eyes. Namely, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. How? Where? In the things that have been made. Creation points to the creator. Psalm 98 said they would join in the song. And we see in this letter to the Romans in the New Testament that it is participating in the song. Jesus said the same thing. As he made his way to the cross, some religious leaders said, Hey, Jesus, all these people, your followers, are praising you like you're some sort of king. Almost like you're God. Stop them from doing that. You remember what Jesus says? I can't, right? He goes on, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. He says, creation is singing a new salvation song that cannot and will not be stopped. So friends, this Christmas, we have an opportunity, a chance, an invitation to join in with God's people who will sing of this marvelous salvation work for all eternity. You and I get invited into Jesus' celebration because he was born to save his people from their sins. 
He offers that salvation to you and to me. And so friends, joy to the world says, let every heart prepare him room. So I just want to close this morning by saying, have you prepared room for Jesus in your heart? Can I invite you? Let your heart prepare him room today. Now, let your heart marvel at the new salvation song that God accomplished to his people. Prepare room this Christmas, pushing aside everything that might distract and embracing Jesus, the Son of God and Son of Man who came to save even sinners like you and me. What a phenomenal God we serve. Amen? Will you guys pray with me? King Jesus, I thank you for all of the marvelous things that you have done. That you have flexed your holy arm and shown us your power to save. I thank you that, God, you aren't just far off, distant, showing us how we should live and what we should do and then judging us for every failure. But instead, you sent your son, not just to show us, but to do for us what we could not do ourselves. And God, you've invited us to know that salvation, to receive that salvation, to make Jesus our own as he makes us his God, and then we get judged by his righteousness, not our sinfulness, by his wholeness, not our brokenness, by his light, not our darkness, by his life, not our death. God, we thank you and praise you for Jesus this morning. God, I ask, would you make room in our hearts for Jesus, especially at this Christmas time? Would you make room that we would know the marvel of your salvation, and that it would overflow, that it would break forth into us a joy that's unmatched. Jesus, would you cause all of us to go all in on Psalm 98 and sing your new salvation song together. Let all the earth rejoice in the salvation of our God through Jesus Christ, his son. And all God's people said, amen.